Hi, it's Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Ska Boom Stories, which is the audio companion to my new book, Ska Boom, an American Ska and Reggae Oral History, now available for pre-sale through DeWolf Publishing House. Now that Ska Boom is in production and will be available in July, I'm sharing a behind-the-scenes look at what readers can expect from the book. In 400-plus pages across 19 chapters, I've attempted to knit together the origin stories of groups of passionate musical pioneers who helped create a uniquely American version of ska and reggae. While Los Angeles and New York get the lion's share of the credit for the nascent American ska scene of the early 80s, the Chicago-based band Heavy Manners were American ska and reggae trailblazers whose multiracial and gender mixed lineup took the Windy City by storm. We wanted a band that was multicultural, and we wanted our music to be multicultural. So, um, you know, and, 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 you know, part of our political statement and a lot of people, well, we, we took Scott really seriously. It's, it's music that black and white people make together. And that it's, you know, it has that kind of revolutionary thing to it, which in Chicago, I mean, you know, it, it, Chicago's always been so um, segregated. And I think we really felt like we wanted to put together a band that, um, you know, was multicultural, that had, a, you know, woman in it, um, and, you know, just had the music from different elements. That's lead singer Kate Fagan explaining the philosophy and approach that the band took to differentiate themselves in the Chicago music scene of the early 80s. Heavy Manners quickly perfected a high-energy show and sound akin to the selector, highlighted by Fagan's vocals and a unique ska reggae meets rock sound that helped give birth to a thriving Midwestern ska scene that flourished throughout the 90s and into the 2000s. The band is releasing a remixed version of their first single, Flamin' First, the intro music for this episode, on July 9th. According to a great article, in the Chicago Reader on the roots of the Chicago ska scene, quote, the first wave of ska had little impact on white Chicago. Reggae caught on much earlier, largely because rock acts like The Police, The Clash, and Eric Clapton dabbled in it. Charlie Organaire Cameron, a Jamaican singer and harmonica player who moved to Chicago in 1976 after recording with Bob Marley, Derek Morgan, Jimmy Cliff, Prince Buster, and Toots and the Maytals remembers only two bands playing ska around 1980, the Jamaican-American band Heavy Manners, which gigged heavily at the Roots Clubs on the north side, and the Blue Rhythm Band from Kansas City. Bassist Jimmy Robinson, who sadly passed away in 2016, discovered London's two-tone scene while on a trip to Europe at the start of the 80s. Inspired, he began jamming with guitarist Mitch Kohlhagen, on similar sounds when he returned back to Chicago. 
Roughly a half year later, the pair connected with vocalist Kate Fagan, who lived in the same apartment building as Robinson, and the three of them later placed an ad in the Chicago Reader for a drummer. Through the ad, they found Hillel Frankel, who formerly joined on sax and brought along drummer Shell Lustig, then a WXRT DJ. Fagan and Frankel pick up the story of how the band came together. So so Jimmy was living downstairs and I was living upstairs. And he was living downstairs playing all this reggae. And I was kind of living upstairs playing, um, you know, rock and roll and punk. And we just kind of started, you know, kind of jamming together. And then uh, Mitch Colhagen's brother um, lived in the house behind us. And he and Jimmy were really good friends. And Mitch was our guitar player. So then entered Mitch. Then we put an ad in the paper because we decided we really wanted to start playing sort of a hybrid of rock and punk and and um, reggae. And at the time, I don't know if we even called it stop. It was just sort of we were just going to have a band that kind of had you know our own sound to it. Um, so so Jimmy and I put an ad in the paper, and Frankie answered it. And he said, I'm not a drummer, but I know a drummer. And if the only thing is, is I have to be in the band as a sax player. Because I'm the drummer over. So we actually re- rehearsed in, in your house, Frankie. Yeah, yeah, the coach house on, uh, on Seminary. So it was Seminary in Belmont, probably about a block and a half from where Tufts ended up being. Uh, starting around the same time. It was the quiet night, then it was Tufts right around 79, I think. Heavy Manners quickly made inroads in the Chicago club scene and soon recorded their first single, Flamin' First, which generated significant college radio airplay. The airplay brought bigger and bigger crowds and bookings at bigger and bigger clubs. As a result, over four years, from 1980 to 1984, Heavy Manners built a huge cult following opening shows for a who's who of 80s bands in Chicago and across the Midwest that included The English Beat, The Clash, Third World, Jimmy Cliff, The Ramones, The Go-Go's, Grace Jones, and Peter Tosh, among others. The band's live shows were so legendary that a gig they played with Tosh during a sold-out show at Chicago's famed Aragon Ballroom nearly changed their fortunes. The reggae superstar was so impressed by their live performance and the quality of the band's songwriting, that he approached Robinson and offered to produce a recording session with them. Studio sessions were soon set up in Chicago, and Tosh flew in from Jamaica to produce along with his guitarist Donald Kinsey and his engineer Dennis Thompson. Fagan shared the story of how the band met and worked with Tosh. He came up to Jimmy and said, that was a great dance. You, your band, but you know, would love the da- you know, you made all these people dance. He was sort of remarking on how our crowd, and there was again a lot of our crowd there with Peter, T- you know, was, was was probably half heavy manners, I would say, or people loving heavy manners and never having had seen Peter Tosh sort of thought, well, what a good bill, let's go see this. We had opened for Third World too at the area. Um, so, so Peter was talking to Jimmy and, and uh, said, uh, you know, that was a dance. We should make a record together sometime. And so Jimmy said, well, no shit. <laughs> so, 
So Linda kind of hooked that up with Don Kinsey to be involved in it as well. Yeah. And Don kind of, you know, got Peter Tosh to come in. Who's, who, talk about somebody that uses ganja. I mean, he is a, was very strong, you know. Well, and part, of the, part of the deal was, that we, I think we had to deliver a pound of, of ganja uh, <laughs> along with whatever payment was there for the session, that it had to be up front. So it was delivered possibly to the studio, and... Uh, <laughs> he wanted a tie stick. Right, tie stick. it was pretty pretty specific. And But not to say the sessions weren't wonderful, because they were, although Don talked, I mean, uh, Peter talked mostly to Don, who then spoke to us, but there was uh, there were stories of Peter walking down Michigan Avenue, Magnificent Mile, with a giant spleef in 1983. <laughs> on and, a unicycle. On a unicycle. Unicycle, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> He, uh, Peter was his own person in the middle of Michigan Avenue to, during our sessions, the same Peter he was anywhere else in, in yeah. Jamaica, wherever. Yeah. And it was a pretty monumental oh, session. Have a listen to Say It, which is one of the songs from the Tosh recording sessions.
The goal was to use the Tosh-produced songs to get the band signed to a major label. Unfortunately, the band never got that deal. Here's how drummer Shel Lustig characterized the response to the band and their songs. Quote, The record companies just didn't seem to know what to do with us. They heard reggae and ska with a dash of rock and roll and weren't sure where to go with it. In 1982 and 1983, the only thing that major labels wanted was a hit record. They weren't convinced that we'd be able to chart with the sound we had. In the meantime, we were drawing the largest crowds of any local band in Chicago, which we thought was proof enough that the music could be brought to a larger audience. It all comes down to marketing. If we had been in New York or L.A. and the record executives had seen our live shows and the crowds that came to them, we probably would have had the major label deal that never came our way. Chuck Wren, the tireless Chicago-based ska enthusiast who runs a jump-up ska label, which has promoted and helped to celebrate Chicago and Midwestern ska since 1993, joined forces with Heavy Manners to distribute the band's first new material, including an unreleased track recorded with Tosh in the 80s. According to Wren, quote, Heavy Manners is the Midwest's missing link between British two-tone and American ska's third wave. Without their influence on a future generation of musicians, I truly doubt the American Scothic series would have ever existed. In addition, their acceptance by the reggae elite, like Peter Tosh, gave the entire U.S. scene a much-needed boost. The Tosh-produced tracks were eventually released a few years ago as part of a collection of new and vintage Heavy Manners cuts called Heavier Than Now. And now, in conjunction with the release of Ska Boom, the band is releasing a remix of their very first single, Flamin' First, that was remastered in New Orleans at NOLA Recording Studios. Visit the band's Facebook page at facebook.com backslash heavymanners for more information. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ska Boom Stories. The book is now available for presale through DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com. The first 500 presale orders will receive a free 80-minute CD mix called Ska American Style, courtesy of DJ Chuck Wren and Jump Up Records, which digs deep into the obscure world of privately pressed records, proving that American ska roots were firmly planted during the 80s alternative music underground. Visit DeWolf.com to order. If you've listened and received some value from this episode, then please help support the podcast for as little as $3 per month on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com backslash Podcast for more information. Thanks and take care.